Hello, it is Megan and Julie with the VBAC link, and we have special episode number 19 today. We often get questions in our email and our Facebook and our Instagram and where else? That's about it, right? Just asking lots of questions about uterine rupture, about induction, about like weird shaped uteruses, about bicornet. Yes. Is that um, bicornet? Bicornet? Bi- yeah, I don't know. Like, we don't mm. even know what we're talking about. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, right? Bicorniet. I feel like it's bicorniet. But anyway, um, special shaped uteruses, feedback after multiple cesareans, versions. Just so many questions. And so we are going to spend today with you answering a lot of the questions that we get. So Julie actually has the emails pulled up with questions. And we're excited to just chat a little bit and dive into more about what we see and be asked a lot. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right, welcome back. Today, we are going through emails. I bet that you did not know that we have an email list. And when you join our email list, which you can do if you go to the vbacklink.com, um, you can either scroll down to the bottom and sign up. It's in our footer or there should be a little pop up that pops up for you to join. Um, but we have a little welcome series of emails that tell you all about us and what we do and why we do it. And one of the emails asks a question about what is your biggest concern about VBAC? And so when you reply to that email, we get those directly in our inbox and we mm-hmm. respond to them personally. And so we decided that it would be fun today to go through all of those emails. Well, we probably don't have time to go through all of them. But, but I'm just gonna pick I'm just gonna pick some some that maybe we don't talk about a lot on the podcast or on our Instagram or Facebook communities. Um, some concerns like those real life concerns that you guys have. So I'm just going to go and just pick them at random, and we're going to talk about them. And so, Megan, I'm going to ask you this first one because this one is something that I feel like people, it might not be the first thing on their mind, but it's important. And so this one is from Isla T. I'm not going to say the full name, I guess, to protect the anonymity. Her question is, she said, I guess I feel like my biggest concern would be that it's probably my last chance for vaginal birth, and what if it doesn't happen? Well, I think one of my questions right back would be, why is it her last chance? Is that because it's her last child or is that because she's already had one and she's nervous that if she has another cesarean, that that's kind of her fate for all deliveries? Yeah, that's a good follow up. So, yeah. So those would be my first questions. But talking about what happens if it doesn't go the way you're wanting, I do feel like I can personally answer this because that's happened to me. You know, I walked down to the OR that second time bawling and not doing what I wanted at all, but I was still able to make it a good experience. And so, 
you know, everyone says safe mom, safe baby. And of course, that's what we want. But I really, really, really feel like it's important to also add in safe mom, safe baby, good experience because that's important and it's going to weigh. And especially if this is maybe your last child or I don't know why it'd be the necessarily the last chance, like if it was just one cesarean or two cesareans or even three cesareans, mm-hmm. um, because we know moms that have had cesarean or VBACs after multiple cesareans, but um, really creating a, a good experience for you in the best way that you can. So educating yourself on the options that you have in a repeat cesarean, as well as educating yourself in vaginal delivery and what can happen in delivery because even though you may have a vaginal delivery there could be forceps or vacuum or something or like some that other trauma, and yeah. so um, it's important to really educate all around and really just make it so you can have the best experience and you know we've talked about this with Dr. Stu and Midwife Bliss but it's so important to do this work really early on in pregnancy and not just wait until 32, 34 weeks and start talking to your doctor about your options for every scenario. And I think it's hard as moms, we don't want to like plan on the worst case scenario, right? Like that's not something we want to do. But at the same time, we can still talk about like, if this goes to a cesarean, what are my options? Do you have a clear drape? Can I do skin to skin? Do you milk the cord? Do you delay the cord? How how are these cesareans being performed? And how can you make it a gentle and good experience for me? So yeah, really educate yourself and talk to your provider and really just armor up with a good team. That can yeah. be my answer. Yeah, I think that the only thing I would add to that was it sounds almost like that question is coming from a place of fear. And there's probably some fear mm-hmm. that needs to be worked through. There's so many ways to do fear release activities. Um, Hire a doula. Doulas usually have lots of tricks to help you heal from trauma and fear and process through and figure out where it's coming from. So I would just encourage that is try and figure out where where those feelings are coming from. Like, would you feel like you would fail? Would you feel like you Mm -hmm. um, did a disservice to your baby? Would you feel like you would lose, you know, street cred with the other moms. Like, who knows where it's coming Mm -hmm, from? mm -hmm. Um, And and there's a lot of healing that can be done before going into the birth room. But also, there's a lot of healing that can come from being in control of a birth, no matter what the outcome is. So going back to what Megan said about preparing your mind and your body and and educating yourself and learning and being confident in, in your choices all along the way can really impact how you feel about your birth, even if it doesn't end up in a vaginal birth. Yeah, you know, with my second cesarean, like I still got skin to skin and they talked to me and they played music and I was more involved when I didn't feel like I was just laying there having this thing happen to me. I was give, I did feel like I was giving birth. So really just educate yourself. All right. The next question is when we actually get asked quite a bit. It is from Rita R. And she says, hi there. My biggest concern for a VBAC is the time frame of having another baby. Last year in October, I gave birth to my son through a C-section delivery. My question is, how much time should I need to heal in order to have another baby through VBAC? And I guess I'll start with that answer that question. There's like a long answer and a short answer. And so I'm going to give both answers because I can like to be long-winded. Um <laughs> The short answer is as far as risk of uterine rupture only, not considering any other factors, your scar is as healed 
as it is going to be after six months. So six mm-hmm. months between the time you have your C-section to the time of your next pregnancy, your scar is as strong as it's ever going to be. And we actually have a blog about that on our popular blogs page called the vbacklink.com slash pop blogs, short for popular blogs, all one word. Um, and it's called the um, C-section to VBAC length of time between pregnancies, or maybe that's backward, length of time between pregnancies, C-section to VBAC. But we're, we're referencing some studies in there and evidence to show that your cesarean scar is going to be as healed as it will ever, ever be after six months. Whether it's uh, six months, one year, two years, 10 years, it's not going to get any stronger after that six-month period. Now, within that six-month time range, the risk does go up to about two to two and a half percent from about a half a percent. So for some people, that might be an acceptable risk. And in that case, we would encourage you to find a provider that would support you in that choice. But for some people, it might not be an acceptable risk. And so, that, so that's something you're really going to have to talk about and figure out. Mm-hmm. Um and find a provider that will support you in whatever choice you you make. Now, as far as healing from pregnancy, generally, um, the body needs 12 months to recover for all the organs to get back in place and all the hormones to balance out and all of those things. And so if you're talking about general pregnancy healing, 12 months, but you're, you're talking to a girl right now that had three out of her four kids conceived within that first year postpartum. So I'm not really, you know, the one to follow, mm-hmm. follow instructions. But as far as VBAC is concerned, if a doctor is telling you you can't have a VBAC because it hasn't been two years between pregnancies or 18 months between births or whatever, then it might be time to explore other, other options. options for providers. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, those studies show after six months, uh, your scars is healed as it's going to be. That's I my like answer. That. I like that answer. All right. Let's find another question. Oh, here's a good one. All right. This one is from, her name is Kesha. Kasha? Kesha. Kasha. Kasha. Kasha W. And she says, my biggest concern about VBAC is that my care and my birthing plan isn't taken seriously. That even though I want to deliver my baby naturally, there'll be many excuses. And ultimately, I will be forced to have a cesarean because I don't have a supportive provider, even though me and my baby are doing perfectly fine. So that's kind of a long question or a long concern. But basically, she doesn't think she's going to be taken seriously and she doesn't feel like she's going to have a a supportive provider. Yeah. And this is something we see and hear all of the time, especially in the VBAC link community on Facebook. If you haven't already joined that, you can head over and just search the VBAC link community. Make sure to answer all the questions and we'll get you approved. But we see this all the time where it's like, I feel like I don't have a choice. I feel like I don't have a supportive provider. I feel like I have to have a C-section. And this breaks my heart. It absolutely breaks my heart. It breaks my heart for a few reasons. One, that a woman is left spending either her entire pregnancy or the last few weeks of her pregnancy in complete fear and stress and just heartache because they're desiring a birth that they don't feel supported by or, you know, that they're going to be supported by. And so that breaks my heart because women of strength, you deserve to feel supported. You deserve to be listened to and be heard and 
be given the opportunity to birth the way you desire. And so another reason why I feel like it just breaks my heart is the fact that there are so many places here in the United States. And as we are learning the world, world, we have women from nationally um, writing us and talking to us about the circumstances that they're in in their countries. And there's just a lot of lack of support. And it breaks my heart because, like I said, you guys, you guys deserve the opportunity. You absolutely deserve the opportunity to birth the way you want. And so I hope that one day that this changes. I hope that birth turns around and VBAC is more supported because there are so many women that truly do. They go through their whole pregnancy not feeling supported, feeling lost, questioning themselves, questioning what they're going to do. We have a lot of women who decide to go unassisted. And although we don't necessarily suggest that, that is where I wish these providers would see that. That is where it comes. They down feel to. like they're forced to do that because they don't because have they don't any have, other options. They don't. Yeah. Yep. And so and so <laughs> it just breaks my heart. And I wish these providers would would really look deeper into into the reality of VBAC and and yes, know the risks and and um, and address them, but don't just ignore them and tell women things to scare them or false things. It kills me inside yeah. when I see posts and I have to sometimes I have to be like, okay, hold on, you need to think about what you want to write because I'm just like I it turn into this angry. I do. Yes. I turn into a doula mama bear and I'm like, ah, no one can make <laughs> you do anything and you don't have to do that and don't let them do that to you. And it just oh, it yes. makes me so frustrated because like I said, no one no one can make you do anything. And we see it all the time where it's like my provider says I have to do this or or else. And it's like, or else what? I don't or else they'll drop you? Okay. See ya, you're fired. That's what I wanna say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Bye, so Felicia. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's just <laughs> Yeah. It's hard. It is hard. And the and we're I feel like we're at a pivotal time right now, like in our birth culture in the United States, but also in the world where there's this trend of like more and more women are standing up and demanding access to personalized birth care yeah yeah and and that's how it's going to change that is how it's going to change is by each woman the individual woman standing up for themselves and demanding to be treated better and hunting and finding and hunting and finding and looking and looking until you can get that support i've had three clients in the past year drive two and a half hours for their v-backs because of a v-back ban down in the county's hospitals that they live in and when those hospitals lose business and they keep losing business and women are keep driving up here two and a half hours away to have their v-backs guess what that might open the eyes of hospital administration to Mm -hmm. say like hey maybe we should reconsider things and that's what it's going to take but you know what it it can be a hard journey to find a provider that will allow you and i say allow very loosely because really when you stand up for yourself you really have power to take control of your birth, but you might get a lot of resistance. Mm -hmm. And so I would say interview as many providers as you can start early, start now and be 
be a diva. I say like, <laughs> I interviewed this couple and they, this guy was diva. like, I feel like such a diva because I want to be so involved in the birth. And this was the, the lady's husband. And I was like, you deserve to be a diva. Like you should be a diva for your birth. You guys be bridezilla, like be backzilla and <laughs> take control. And, and it's a hard thing to do, especially for some different personality types. But look around and search around and and I want to I, you know we're probably going to talk about this blog page a lot but like we have a popular blog page the vbacklink.com slash pop blogs mm-hmm. it's all one word p-o-p-b-l-o-g-s and we have an article there about how to identify if your um, providers really vback supportive or not join our community like Megan said the last time you know we have a lot of people we have i mean from the time we're recording we have over a thousand members in our community we have vback trained doulas in you know spread out throughout the country that can help you find a supportive provider in your area and keep asking join your ican groups go to ican-online.org to find your local chapter that's going to connect you with a lot of parents and doulas and birth workers that know how to navigate vback and find a supportive provider for you in your area so there is hope there is a possibility and you can find the support you need just depending on where you're located it might take a lot of work but don't be afraid to do that work don't be afraid to stand up for yourself you are a woman of strength and if nobody else believes in you we believe in you and we will believe that in you until you're until until what until forever forever, (laughs) for all time even in when even in moments you doubt yourself we are here to tell you you are a woman of strength and you can find that support that you need and don't give up never Mm -hmm. give up all right next question i feel like kind of ties in a little bit this is from heba a and she asks or she says my biggest concern about vback is that i will be given biased information and statistics Mm -hmm. sadly it happens it happens a lot. Yeah, it does. It kind of ties into what we just talked about. Yeah. <laughs> We've had it on the podcast with moms. Like, oh, yeah, my doc was super great and supportive and everything was wonderful. And then at 34 weeks, like, oh, well, your placenta is old. Or, oh, well, your baby's, your baby's big. So big. <laughs> or, oh, you know, I just... Things aren't looking great. Well, your cervix isn't starting to dilate at, at all. At 30. So yeah. And it's just, it's so hard. And and usually if there's things like that, or all of a sudden, like, you're fine and healthy and everything's great, but all of a sudden you have to do non-stress tests. Or a girl scan. Or a girl scan. You know, those just don't make sense unless it's really medically necessary. And those are red flags. Those are red flags. And sometimes providers will literally search for a reason to tell you you cannot VBAC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had we've had the VBAC calculator thing. You know, oh. I, I have a client right now and she was like, um, my provider is telling me I don't have a very good chance on my on my calculator. I'm like, yeah, you actually have a better chance than I did. Honestly, like her, her score is better than mine. And I was like, you know, it's possible. And I know Julie's had a client, what was it, 4%? My very first client as a doula ever was a VBAC client who was told she had four percent literally yeah. like that's the number four f-o-u-r i feel like i have to spell it out as a word when i type it out in on facebook or whatever because people will think it's a typo and it was just missing the first number but no she had a four percent chance due to the stupid calculator yeah so her provider is pretty much telling her 
just yeah. have a cesarean. But luckily, like, she had a supportive provider that didn't really give Didn't read a into lot it too of, much. Yeah, didn't really care that much. You know, it's interesting because, that they even used it then. Well, it was the policy at the hospital. And That's so, anyways, she sold 4%, but she pushed, she ended up with her VBAC and she pushed only for 20 minutes and got her VBAC. And I tell that story so much. But another thing I think you can do is about being given biased information and statistics is. Learn armor what up. the real ones are. With your, yep, armor up with armor right up with knowledge. Learn as much as you can because let me tell you what we talk a lot about intuition, but your intuition can't tell you something that you don't know. And so intuition is powerful, and it's a very powerful tool. And if something doesn't feel right, you need to listen to it. But mm-hmm. gaining that knowledge to help you identify why it doesn't feel right is going to bring a great power and strength to you mm-hmm. during your pregnancy and during your birth. And luckily for you, we have this podcast, but we also offer a course called How to VBAC, the ultimate VBAC prep course for parents. And you can find it online at the VBAClink.com slash VBAC class. Guys, this is a self-paced online course. We mail you a 100-page workbook that you can go through. You fill out. It's going to give you worksheets. It gives you all the information. We have over four hours of video. Mm -hmm. We have four pages of references and citations and statistics and evidence base and studies and everything to back it up so that you can take this workbook with you to your doctor's appointments. You can learn and rewatch the videos as many times as you want. You can bring your your partner or your mother-in-law or your or your sister whoever it, you know wants to learn with you into your space and educate yourselves so that you can have the right information and statistics so that when you're given the wrong one, you can either laugh at your provider Mm-hmm. Because you know the right ones, or you can you can know that that is a not not the right fit for you, and you can find another one. Next question is pretty simple. My biggest concern about VBAC is uterine rupture. Yep, we definitely talk about that a lot. Yes, we do. So we actually have a blog on that as well. So again, visit the vbaclink.com/blog. Uterine rupture is probably one of the most talked about things when it comes to VBAC and it's one of the biggest fears and when we do the VBAC link challenge because we do those sometimes um, we get a lot of those replies and that's what the fear is is uterine rupture and you know it's a valid concern it's absolutely a valid concern and it's something I can't tell you I didn't think I mean I thought of it I definitely thought of it like okay well what if this happens you know and I played the what if game but Overall, you know, I found the studies and realized, well, you know, my my chances are there, but they're very rare. And so for me personally, I was willing to move forward with my decision to to Tolac. And so it's hard. It's hard because like I mean, we've got a couple of stories on the on the podcast, you know, about it, but um it happens. It's rarely catastrophic. Usually there are signs. So again, really educating yourself on those signs and learning what what you can do to avoid them. We talk about that as well as in our course online as well because 
those are really good things to learn about. And so hopefully it will eliminate that fear. Right. Absolutely. And it will help you. I mean, the thing about statistics is that it's not going to tell you how one individual person is going to react in a given situation. Mm -hmm. But like going back into what Megan said, like knowing what the signs are will allow you to um, demand attention being given to you before Mm -hmm. things turn catastrophic, which Mm -hmm. it's really incredibly rare for a bad outcome after uterine rupture. But um, they do happen sometimes. But being prepared, knowing what the signs are and knowing um, how to avoid those signs are going to help you a lot. We have yep. a whole entire hour-long episode where we talk about uterine rupture, and it's special episode eight. And we have a blog about uterine rupture, like Megan just said, on our popular box page. And so check out those two things if you want to know more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have time for one or two more questions. This one is one that... Maybe just one question. I feel like we're going to get a little soapboxy about this one. <laughs> um, sh- this question is from Victoria. And Victoria says, my biggest concern about VBAC is being given a deadline to go into mm. labor on my own. You go first. Oh, this is such a hard <laughs> one. And again, this is going back to those things that I told you that I see in the in the community all the time. Like, you guys, I'm 38 weeks. I have to have my baby by next week or I have to have a C-section or like you're 38 weeks, you're 38 weeks. Women, you do not have to have a cesarean if you do not choose to or there's not a medical concern. You do not have to. Nobody can make you. It's so hard again because there's so many providers out there that absolutely will not induce VBAC. Yep. They won't do it. That is one of the things right off the bat, um, you know, you want to ask in the beginning, will you induce a VBAC? If I need to medically be induced, will you induce me? If your provider says no, you will have to have a repeat cesarean, that is a red flag. And that is a sign that you may want to start looking for a new provider. I also know that there are state policies and hospital policies that maybe a provider would want to induce, but they can't because they're under care at that certain location. And that's really tricky. So induction is safe most of the time. If there's a real medical concern and something's going on that they can induce, then maybe a cesarean, repeat cesarean is reasonable. But there are ways to induce VBAC, and you do not have to have your baby by 39 or 40 weeks. You really don't. There are women, I mean, even ACOG, they say 42. And even then, we know women who say, okay, I'm 42 weeks. I feel good about where I'm at. Let's do a non-stress test every other day or even every day. They negotiate and find out a plan that works best for them and their provider. And so, yeah, it's... It's so hard when I hear I'm going to run out of time to have my baby. Mm -hmm. Women of strength, your body will go into labor. It will. Whether or not it's 40 weeks in one day, 41 weeks in five days, 42 and even three, it happens. Your body is not going to keep your baby inside forever. It's just not. I mean, you could be in a coma and it's going to have a baby. It, it's fact. It's going to have a baby. And so don't let the end of your pregnancy be full of stress. 
because that is going to bring on medical concerns. High blood pressure, stress, anxiety. Enjoy these last few weeks of pregnancy. Enjoy them. Soak them up. Spend time talking to your baby. Talk to your baby. Talk to them about what you want for your birth. Let them know you're with them. You're on the same team. It's it's really powerful and it helps. And it just makes me sad that I'm just saying it makes me sad a lot today because these make me sad. Everyone's having a sad day. I am having a sad day because I just, if I remember the last few days of my pregnancy to be full of stress like that because I'm feeling so much outside pressure, like that would impact me. And that's not how it should be. So, yeah, what do you want to say about that? <laughs> First of all, like mic drop because I just like sitting here and like preach sister because <laughs> <clears throat> like you like I could feel that. Like I hope you guys could feel that energy coming from her because what she says is true. I kind of don't want to add anything, but I do have something to add, but I kind of mm-hmm. like don't want to add anything. I just want to <laughs> leave it like that because it, what you just said was so powerful. One thing I want to talk about is the arrive study. Oh, yes. Um, if you don't know what the rise study is, you might have you might have heard the symptoms that come came from that, um, which is the study that was supposedly shown that being induced at 39 weeks was safer than going beyond 39 weeks of pregnancy, and mm-hmm. that study was actually for done, first time moms. Yeah. Sorry. I'm getting there. Okay. <laughs> that study was actually done by a, a local hospital here in Utah and led by a provider that we actually really like a lot. Yeah, we um, were one of the participants. Yeah. And so the unfortunate thing about that study is it has a lot of flaws in the study. And I'm going to talk about a couple of those flaws, but I want you to evidence-based birth wrote a really good article oh gosh, um, breaking down the ARRIVE study. And so... Google evidence-based birth arrive study, and it will probably show up on the first five, first one or two or five um, yeah. you know, results <laughs> yeah. um, if you really want to dig into it. But I want to tell you why the arrive study is not applicable to you specifically, you listening right now. First of all, like Megan just touched on, they only applied the study to first-time moms. Mm-hmm. So it was first-time moms. Now, Women didn't get to choose whether they were in the group that was allowed to go past 39 weeks or whether they were in the induction group. They got assigned to a group. So what that tells you is women got to choose whether to be a part of that study or not. And so women that were likely to want to go into labor on their own without intervention, we're probably a lot less likely to sign up for the study anyways. Yeah. Do you want to know an interesting fact on that? Yes, I do. And this is right from evidence-based birth. Uh-huh. So 22,533 people were eligible for the study. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. It's still not a lot of people if you really think about it. Yeah. It but it's break a it lot. Down. Of, yeah. But it's still a lot of people. But get this, only 6,106 of them, so that's 27%, actually agreed. Yeah. That's, so that's very like one small. Quarter, that's like one quarter of it. Six, yeah. what is that, 12, 24? Yeah, a little less, a little yeah. less than a quarter. And 3,062 people were induced at 39, and 3,044 people 
were the expectant management. And 7,000 people to make a conclusion like that is actually is not. nothing. A lot, if you know anything about studies. I mean, that's Which nothing. is like, ironically enough, the same amount of people that they used for the VBAC calculator. I know. And you but know, anyways. the study was done well. Like, I think the, the actual study, I think, really was done well. But that's but also the problem. That's a problem. <laughs> this is the thing. And this is the catcher. Me and Megan are like pointing our fingers uh. at each other right now. Because they had strict protocols Super to follow strict. for induction. Yeah. They had very strict guidelines or else the client would be like risked out or sent or disqualified from the study. Mm-hmm. And so they had very strict guidelines. But guess what? Nobody knows what those guidelines are. Those guidelines they haven't published. been released. Nobody knows. Okay. But this is a thing. Like, so if your doctor is going to induce you at 39 weeks based on that study, they don't even know how to manage that in order to get the best outcome, if it was even the best outcome. But the part that gets me the most about that study is women who were in the spontaneous labor group were only allowed to go to 40 weeks and five days Mm -hmm. or else, guess what? They were induced. induced. Mm. So guess what? Guess how many Guess what percentage of women give birth on their own, first-time moms, before 40 weeks and five days? Half? Exactly half? Yeah, probably not a lot. So 50%. It's a statistics. It's a a statistic. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just talk a little bit now. Um, It really is, though. Half of women will go into labor by 40 weeks and five days, and so half will not. So that means... Up to half of those women were induced before their bodies may have even been ready to go into labor on their own. And then it puts them in this group classified as like a bad outcome, um, high risk of all these other complications. So so if your doctor is telling you that you need to be induced at 39 weeks, I have three words for you to tell them. No, thank you. And the thank you is optional. (laughs) (laughs) Just say no. You You can say no. You have options. And... Um, I really encourage you to read that evidence-based birth article on the ARRIVE study. It's amazing. Yeah, she's got amazing stuff in there. And I watched her webinar and was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, this is so great to hear her. Like, she really broke it down for us. But one of the things I also wanted to add in that is so they the cesarean rate was 19% for the the women who were induced and 22% in the women who went to spontaneous labor. But one of the things I just want to add, and I don't think a lot of people think about this, is the amount of time that these hospitals that participated in the study gave these moms, these women, time to labor. Mm-hmm. A long time. They did everything they could to avoid cesarean, right? Like mm-hmm. that that's really what they did. And so if you think about these hospitals, like they could have been in labor for days mm-hmm. and they could have let them labor for days when nationwide that's not super right. common and so yeah of course you're going to have a three percent difference because they let these women labor and they did well, all these plus, things the women that were in that were induced at 40 weeks and five days because they didn't go into spontaneous labor were still counted in the spontaneous labor group mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. See, I don't know. I don't like it. We don't I'm like grumpy it. Grumpy about it. We are grumpy. Like I said, I think it was done well, like the way they did it, except for we still don't really know if how they only did it. They would tell us how That's they did true. it. That's true. That's true. I just feel like, like, and it's the only idea of it, the first but like, moms, and it's not a large enough sample size. No. And it was done in Utah, which has the lowest lowest cesarean rate in the country, anyways. Yeah. So there's just it's, just, it's just wonky and it it's wonky. questionable. And in my personal Megan Heaton's personal opinion is non-conclusive. 
That's my opinion. Well, even ACOG says that. ACOG. Oh, well, look, then it's ACOG. ACOG and Megan Heaton agree I on this. I don't think it's conclusive. The ARRIVE study is non conclusive as far as whether inducing at 39 weeks improves birth outcomes or not. Yeah. ACOG has an official statement on the ARRIVE study, actually. You could probably find it by Googling ACOG statement on ARRIVE, arrive study. study. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I want to just touch really fast and we wrap it up. One more concern about VBAC is having a bad support team. Um, mm-hmm. This one is from mm-hmm. Tiana. This is what I want to say about that. Get a doula. Do it. Get a doula because guess what? You might not know who anybody else on your support team is going to be when you go into labor. Your doctor might not be on call or available. You're not going to know if you're going to get a nurse that loves VBAC or is not a fan of natural birth or is a fan of natural birth. You just never know the dynamic of the team that you're going to have in your room. But you can know and depend on a doula. And so if you want help finding a supportive provider, knowing what the evidence-based facts are, having a, someone that has confidence in you 100% in your ability to VBAC, um, and someone that you know will be familiar with in your birth space, mm-hmm. get a doula. And lucky for you, we have a directory of yes, doulas that do. we have personally trained in our VBAC certified doula training program. And you can find them on the vbacklink.com slash find a doula. And if your state's not there, you're actually kind of lucky because we have a really good deal right now where if you as a parent sign up with a doula and you bundle your courses together, you each get $20 off of your courses. And that is $40 savings total. And we never discount our courses. Like we don't give out promo codes. We don't we don't discount any. That's the only discount we give is when a parent and a doula bundle together. So if you have a doula already and you want to take our VBAC course, encourage her to sign up and vice versa. And if you're missing a state, send us a message because we might have doulas already involved in the training program that haven't completed their training just yet that we can refer you to. So if you need help finding a doula or if your doula is not in our directory, send us an email info at the vbacklink.com or you can message us on Facebook or on Instagram. But doulas are amazing. I I wouldn't have, I don't think my first VBAC would have happened without my doula and a lot of what she did she did for me prenatally to get me ready absolutely yeah and um, I kind of want to add to hiring a doula you know hire a doula who is well trained we talked about the VBAC doulas but Mm -hmm. you know like an actual trained doula because there are a lot of people like oh my friend down the street Sally she likes birth she's been to a couple births so she's going to be my doula and I'm not saying that she's going to be a bad doula at all, but she may not have those skills and trainings to get babies in a good position, understand what a seven centimeter stall is and what to do. They might not be spinning babies trained. They might not understand things like a doula would. And so it's really important to interview many doulas, Yep. really interview many doulas get a feel for them, understand what they've got going and what they have to offer and find a good one for you. And then of course, wrap that up and tie it with a knot with finding a good provider. Absolutely. Amen, sister. (laughs) All right. Well, listen up. If you want to be part of our community and get our emails, which every week we send out emails about our podcast and we have a blog that goes with it and we share a little story 
we want you to go to our website right now, theviewbacklink.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, and you are going to find that VBackaholics Unite subscription box. Yeah. And we want you to sign up. But if you don't are not interested in that, join our community, the VBackLink community on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Our main goal with the VBAC link is to make birth after cesarean better for you. And so we want to help you in whatever way we can. We have many resources available for you and we hope that you reach out to us and find us because we are here and ready and waiting to help you. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to the VBAClink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.